Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You know, I think in Japan... That sound is not legal, the beeping backwards truck sound. What do you mean? It's illegal to, to have that on your truck? Yeah, like it, apparently it doesn't really do anything for safe places uh, have bylaws against vehicles having that sound. And it just makes you think like the street that they're doing construction on is closed. Yeah. This truck is probably backing up like five feet every time that thing goes on, but I have to hear it all day. Yeah, that's that's a good – I mean you're making a good argument to move to Japan pan really like can't our leaders get rid of the truck beeping sound i feel like they have other priorities at the moment but you might be onto something it's worth a letter or maybe calling into like a news talk show uh, to complain that's what this was well that's not exactly what it is but it's close hello fellow creative control listeners my name is mac cameron i live in toronto and i've been listening to creative control with vish Khanna since episode 119 that featured all five members of one of my favorite bands constantine's i listen backwards from there and then forwards and i know it sounds you know over the top or cliche but finding the show changed the course of my life It inspired me to pursue a career in radio and to do what I can to support the arts in my community and across the country. So I give to Creative Control because I feel like I owe the show and Vish uh, for helping me figure out what the hell to do with my life. Beyond that, I give to Creative Control because I think independent media, especially insightful, entertaining, thoughtful, and thorough independent media is something that is worth paying for. What I appreciate about Creative Control is Vish's ability to treat Canadian artists, or any artist for that matter, with the seriousness and appreciation he would any other artist. His excellent rapport with people like Steve Albini and the members of Fugazi and Stephen Malcolmus and others have earned him international appreciation. However, it's his trove of interviews with what I consider to be the most exciting generation of Canadian musicians, conducted out of genuine passion and interest, that makes this show so special, I think. It is an archive of some really exciting music that is way, way underreported on and appreciated. That's why I contribute to Creative Control with Vishkana, and I hope you will do the same. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that.
Please consider supporting Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Mike Halichuk is a musician, community organizer, writer, producer, and singer based in Toronto, Ontario. For the better part of the past 20 years, Halichuk has been the band leader and idea initializer for the excellent band Fucked Up, who once won Canada's Polaris Music Prize and are internationally renowned for their ambitious punk rock records and chaotic live shows. Between February and May of 2021, Fucked Up is releasing one side of a double record each month on Bandcamp, with each quarter representing an act in a four-part song. Part of their Zodiac series, this new release is entitled The Year of the Horse, whose name was Percival, which makes good on the band's long-standing plan to create a rock opera. Recently, and just ahead of the release of the third act, Mike and I reconnected and he returned to the show to get into the idea and making of The Year of the Horse, whose name was Percival, dystopian fiction and westerns, operas by Wagner and learning to play cello, Damien Abraham's new singing styles, the 10th anniversary of Fucked Up's classic album David Comes to Life, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control and Massey Hall's concert film series, live at MasseyHall.com, where you can stream dozens of 30-minute films for free, including performances by past podcast guests like Jennifer Castle, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 605th episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Mike Halichuk from Fucked Up, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hey Mike, how's it going there? It's okay. Hey Vish, nice to have you back on the on the show, and uh, welcome back to to me. It's nice. Yeah, to, thanks for having me. It's been a while, I think, since we've spoken in person. We we tend to correspond, but I uh, I don't actually know how you're doing. How are you doing generally? I'm fine, just a little bit uh, bored. I think we talked last on this, uh, like at the very beginning of the pandemic, maybe like maybe even in March or something last March. Yeah, it was you and Jonah. Is that the call? That was the call. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's true. And we were lots of speculating about what life was going to be like and what was going on. Were we right about anything? I don't remember what we talked about. (laughs) I don't. I probably, we were probably wrong. I think, no, I think we were right. I think we, I think Jonah had been like, the industry, the music industry is going to die. These clubs and bars aren't going to open up again. I mean, we don't know if he was totally right, but a bunch of things did 
get shut down. It wasn't the, uh, we didn't have the cheeriest outlook, I suppose. And I, I think some of that came to pass. Uh, but, but as I'm speaking to you now, optimism, we, we are, we are inundated with optimistic ideas, vaccines, uh, normalcy coming. How are you feeling about that? Pretty good. We just got like a show offer for October. We were going to book, we were booking stuff and our guy was like the earliest you can do anything is January. And then we got an offer for October. And then I realized we also have a show in, um, September. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, that's good. Is it involving travel or is it, is it a virtual show? What kind of show is it? It's a fest in uh, Chicago. Oh. Which was supposed to be last September, but they put it ahead a whole a year. But um, who knows if it'll it'll happen. But, I mean, it has to start eventually. Yeah, you would think so. It's some sort of normalcy with, like, the masks and the maybe fewer people. It's it's something. I mean, I, I okay, good. It sounds like. It sounds like you're saying who knows, but at the same time, feeling pretty good. There's dates on the board. That's better than it could be. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Jonah's still in England, right? Yeah, he lives there. He lives there on the boat. That's what we discovered the last time. He uh, lives on a boat, yeah. Yeah, so he's still away. Is everyone else in the band uh, around Toronto uh, otherwise? Yep. Okay, good. Yep. No one else has split. Okay, good. Well, uh, this time we're talking about fucked up. Last time we were talking about jade hairpins. This time we're talking about fucked up. The year of the horse whose name was Percival. Is that is that what we're talking about today, Mike? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's your podcast. It is. It is. I I, I get to make the calls. Uh, yeah. For those who don't know, I, I feel like we have to start with the Zodiac series on some level, unless you don't want to, but maybe we should. What... The Year of the Horse is part of that series, yes? Yeah, so the the horse I think is I think is the ninth animal we've dealt with in the this series. Okay. So it is a series. What is the nature of the series as it relates to fucked up albums and whatnot? This one seems very ambitious. Uh and I but there will be people being like, What the hell? What's the difference? Uh, this is, I feel like this is organizationally a thing you do <laughs> to be like, we're doing this now. It's, it's an al- it's a record still, right? Like, let's get to that. This is still an album. Is it not? This one is, al- I mean, yeah, it's album length for me. The classification of the, what they are physically is, lo- is less important than the songs. Some, they just tend to be long songs. Hmm. Yeah. But, whether people think that they're EPs or LPs doesn't really matter, mm. you know? Yeah, okay. This one is sort of like an actual opera, maybe. It's like we've kidded around with doing like rock operas before, but this one being about 90, 95 minutes, it's just one song that takes up that length. It's, there's like repeating um, motifs in sound. There's a big story populated by characters and setting and stuff. It's... It is like that's what an opera is. Yeah, yeah. Except it's probably won't be performed on stage by like by actors and stuff. Mm. But yeah, it's just a uh, we hadn't done one in a long time, and then we haven't put an album for a couple of years. So we just me and Jonah recorded two sides of this like five or six years ago, just assuming that we would make it slightly longer than normal. But then we were like, "Fuck it!" I actually wanted to make it six sides of a record. Oh. But we just sort of ran out of time and thought that was a bit p- 
preposterous. So, but it's a long, it's a pretty long song. So, okay. So the, the songs that were recorded five or six years ago, uh, are, have we heard those ones? So the, my understanding, this is a four part, is it four acts basically? Is that right? Yeah, four acts, four four sides. Four sides. So uh, the sides we've heard or that I've heard thus far are uh, acts one and two. Do those date back to that five or six year ago era that you're describing? We actually wrote five act like side one and side three at the same on the same session in 2015, and then we recorded "Dose Your Dreams" in the following couple years, and then. By that time, Jonah was living in England already, so it was a matter of, like, anytime we had a show in North America, he would come a couple weeks early, and then we would do some studio time and just do whatever. Yeah. And so I think in, like, 2017 or 18, we did sides B and D at the same time. So as the sides get released, people may notice that they have, like, those sides sort of sound quite similar. Right. Because we we use like different gear and different effects and instruments and stuff, and then we just have been mixing it and editing it and putting the backup vocalists since then. Okay, and just sort of waiting. Okay, because a couple of the lyrical things stuck out to me as being fairly topical or relevant, or they seem that way. It's a weird thing with music and artists. I find they do a thing, and then something happens in the world, and then we all apply this retroactive prescience to to the words like oh my god they were talking I'll, I'll here i'll explain in scene two of act one there's yeah. a couple of passages that stuck out to me uh this is about a character named blanche by the way yeah ho- hopefully you can tell us more about these characters as we go but i just want to read this out to people with your permission is it okay yeah A poison had come to their home and everyone was sick and no one remembered any other way of living save for lies, villainy, and killing. Later on, we that's about Blanche. Later on from Blanche, Mother, there's a darkness coming in through the window. Please hold my hand. Keep me safe from the shadow. I mean, we're in a pandemic, so you know where I'm going with this. When was this written? The lyrics were written before the pandemic. Hmm. But I think that's those are sort of very generic, like light, and it's like sort of Stephen King-esque generic storytelling almost, you know, where it's pre- it sounds prescient because it's just so broad. Like there's a darkness coming that, I mean, that can relate to anything, I think. I think a poison had come to their home and everyone was sick. <laughs> do, you think the, do you think COVID is poison? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think. What is the what is your designation there? I think it kills you. It's a virus. It is, I'm just thinking of poison as like one of those like old timey vials that no, with triple no. X on the label. No, no, no. I don't, and I don't think it's. Uh, I, I don't believe there's anything nefarious about it. Yeah, poison has a connotation. You're correct. However, no, uh, I think stuff coming in. There's a darkness coming in through the window. We're dealing with an airborne or have been dealing with an airborne disease. That's all. I'm just saying, I don't want to be one of those people, by the way, that says, you must have known what was going on, but there's a a thing that with... I think we talked about this maybe last time. There's a thing with dystopian writing that some of it seems like, not self-fulfilling prophecy, but like it's weird how close we get to all the stuff we think is fantastical. And so that's where I'm coming from. You've written this opera or 
you know, I don't know if this is technically a libretto, but you've you're writing something and it's it feels predictive on some level. And I think you're into that kind of stuff, right? Dystopian. Uh, yeah, but this isn't like I, I like dystopian like science fiction and stuff. But this was conceived like very much as a sort of like a classical like Western yes. sort of theme. Sure. And I think any kind of like genre storytelling like that you're dealing with archetypes, right? And mm. so when you talk about archetypes, they're going to apply to lots of things. Like if the pandemic didn't happen, we would have been like, we could have been like, oh, you know, this this song is about Trump or like any any large looming terrible thing just because it's easy. When you're talking about light and dark, like just the binary binary way of existing, you know, almost every big social thing fits into it Fair. but i don't think this story is dystopic i think it's like fantastical right it involves like the darkness is a is magic and like a guy putting a spell on this town well uh, yeah i don't i don't necessarily think it's dystopian unless you think of certain i don't know middle or middle earth type stories as being sort of dystopian or teaching us something about ourselves and where we're going i mean in this case you've got a cast of characters that some of them are horses uh the what or one yeah one's a horse isn't there a pegasus as well i just assumed pegasus was a horse yeah it's about a, a horse that is born of the stars the constellations it's sort of taking the zodiac idea literally mm-hmm. and saying there's all these animals that have their origins in the heavens as their constellations like pegasus is a horse constellation uh what else there's there's corvus is a character in this which is the a raven constellation mm-hmm. and there's a couple others and this story is about somehow this young horse has found herself trapped on earth and needs to get back to her home right and then there's also at one point i believe we hear from the river uh, we the the, yeah. the river is kind of able to express itself, which you know certainly in indigenous culture, all sorts of cultural forms, uh, s- certain elemental aspects of our lives uh, are personified or whatnot. And so when I hear the river talking to me <laughs> on the record, I'm like, wait a minute, what is the what does that signify per se? Uh, and when I look at the cast of characters, yeah, there is you're right. There's one horse. And then various townspeople, animals, and spirits. Are you delving into the spirit world here as well? Uh, yeah, kind of in a in a made up way. It's just sort of a way to convey, like me and me and a friend, David James Brock, spent a couple years like writing this out as a story, and then I adapted the lyrics from that story. So mm. there isn't like a talking river in the story, but it's harder to like convey tense in lyrics because like inherently they're a lot shorter and it's just weirder especially when like you're writing you're writing something that ideally should be like presented by a cast of characters but we don't really have the resources or like the know-how to really do that Mm. so you know when you can't have like 15 people singing on the same record from all their voices that's that's when you end up having like a river having to tell a couple of the bars Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean there are there are lots of really compelling uh and I think surprising vocal vocals that happen here. Like just people other I I don't even recognize some of the names of the guests you have on here. 
Uh, actually, yeah, do, before I delve into the... I want to get into the whole fantastical Wild West motif in a moment, but I feel like we should... You mentioned David. I feel like we should talk about some of the people that helped you make this fucked up record, and if anyone's missing... I don't see Benny's name on here, by the way. Is Ben not on this record? He's not. I don't really know where Ben is. Okay. But, um, okay. Yeah, the vocalists, the two main vocalists are... Um, a performer named Tuka from London, who is a friend of Jonah's. Mm-hmm. And then Megan, who is, I believe she plays guitar in Chubby and the Gang and sort of has a couple other projects. And I think sort of like a folk-based thing that she sings in. Yeah. And so these are just these two people that uh, Jonah was f- friends with and they just ended up all over the record. But oh. that's the thing, like other like other if we really conceive this as like a stage play or something, those two would have smaller parts, right? But yeah. because they sort of play in quotations, they play several different characters. Yeah. But those are the main. Those are the main two. And then I do a couple of the weird, like all, all the really deep affected vocals uh, are me. Yeah, that recalls maybe the the work you did on Dose Your Dreams a little. I thought. Kind of. Well, I mean, the river. I, aren't you the river? Aren't you singing as? I'm not saying you're the river, but aren't you singing as the river? Is that you? Yes. Right, and it has that sort of deep. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. we each went for like a fever ray kind of sounding thing. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. yeah. As I said, I want to go back to the fantastical western part of uh, this, uh, the year of the horse. Why were you fascinated by? Are, are you generally fascinated by westerns? Do you like westerns? <laughs> No, I sort of hate westerns, and I don't really understand. I haven't seen many westerns. I don't really understand the like the storytelling part or how you're supposed to do it. Mm. But you know, with these records, we try to we try to cater the theme of them to something that it lends itself to that animal. And so, horse, like obviously, it's going to be sort of western themed. And so, yeah, we I grappled with that and. My friend David, the aforementioned David, is a is a big fan of westerns, and so we just originally the story was gonna like, we were sort of like okay how do we write a cool story about this horse it has to sort of take place probably in the American Southwest all the trappings originally yeah. it was um, it was gonna be about a horse whose rider was shot and killed and then this horse was just sort of wandering around the desert trying to figure a way to get its saddle off, like all the all the rider's equipment. Yeah, yeah. Which is sort of, it's kind of a, it's like a nugget of an interesting idea. But then we were like, are we really going to write a story from the perspective of a horse that doesn't, can't talk? It is basically, a, it was just an impossible story to tell. Mm-hmm. So then it just morphed into this thing where we were like, how do we involve people in it? and sort of tell a similar story of the burden of humanity on this animal. And then I was listening to a lot of like Wagner, the last Wagner opera, Parzival, and sort of cribbed a bunch of stuff from that. And then I sort of, when I was a kid, when I was like 13 or 14, I was really into like reading up on Grail, Holy Grail mythology. Yeah, yeah. But like not from from really a, a religious way. It was sort of like in the 80s, there was a couple like bestseller nonfiction books about the Holy Grail who, and I, I believe somebody who was in the Buzzcocks might've co-written one of them. Like there's some old punk guy who got into this as, as well and wrote like a huge book, 
But the idea was that Jesus was a real person and wasn't crucified and like started a family after his adventures in the Bible or whatever, uh, started a family with Mary, Ma- Mary Magdalene and the Holy Grail, which uh, conventionally is either a cup that caught, I guess, yeah, it's the cup that caught Jesus's blood while he was being crucified. Yeah. But these authors were like, there's like a 2,000-year-old a conspiracy, which is that the Holy Grail is actually Jesus's bloodline, like his family genealogy. And there's been all these weird secret societies hmm. that have been dedicated to protecting Jesus's bloodline, which means that like somewhere on earth, there's descendants of this person now. And so I was like, I got obsessed with this when I was a kid. Hmm. And again, like I'm not, I'm not a religious person. And I don't even really think it's that interesting a conspiracy conspiracy theory now. It just sort of like all these weird things lined up together to tell this story. So it's sort of like the Grail mythology on top of like slightly Arthurian legend stuff, and then the Wagner. Like all of our character names for this record are sort of cribbed from Wagner's Grail retelling. And so it's that like as a Western. Okay. Okay, so yeah, because I think isn't the horse named after a knight in like King Arthur mythology? Yeah, Percival. Right, right. So you've got Percival the horse. Any relationship to the knight and what that knight stood for or or represents? Not really. That's see, that's the thing. Like we we borrowed some names, but it was hard to transpose the entire thing, especially because like storytelling back then was like so weird. Like the Parzival Opera by by Wagner is based on a book called called Parzival with a V instead of an F from like the 1300s, like an actual medieval hmm. book, which is where Arthurian legend comes from. Right. And, you know, the character Percival is in like a third of it. And then he just, he just pieces out and it becomes about this other night. And it's just like the narrative of it is just like, so all over the place. Yeah. So we couldn't really like adapt that straight it just shares the sense of like percival is the is kind of the protagonist but percival is just really the delivery mechanism of like the theme which is you know transcending above your earthly bounds or like you know your your problems or your issues Mm. okay so uh, i i get that part and you mentioned wagner complicated figure wagner wasn't he uh, yeah, I just read that Alex Ross, who is a, who is a, a sort of classical music journalist. Yeah, I've, I've, the, I've interviewed Alex before. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. I just read his like 800 page book about Wagner. Mm-hmm. And I like, I'm really, I forget most of the things I read, but yeah, he was, I think he was like very much a, a proto, like he's like a, an anti-Semite. Yeah. And obviously his his works have been used for nefarious purposes. Yes. The interesting thing about him is when he, when he died, he was working on a Buddhist opera, Hmm. which probably would have been uh, quite sick. (laughs) Yeah. Right. He didn't finish it. Uh, He perished. He perished. Yes. Yes. Well, I don't mean to invoke Wagner too much, but you mentioned him a few times. It, It does seem like he looms here and there is kind of like a Baroque quality here and there like this is a the thing with the 
this particular uh, Zodiac, well, I guess the, 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 I'm just racking my brain. They have kind of a mixtape quality. They, this, these are long songs, but stylistically, they jump all over the place. And and as a matter of fact, uh, did you did you learn how to play cello for this, or did you have this already in your back pocket? Yeah, like in 2016 or 15, I just was like, I think the cello is a cool instrument. And I was listening actually to a lot of sarangi music. Hmm. You know this instrument? Uh, I uh, tell us more. I, I, I'm familiar with it, but I don't know enough about it. It's a string instrument used in ragas, right? So it's like it's part of that tradition, right? And I was listening to a lot of ragas, and I was like, "Fuck, this instrument is so it's so sick, and it's like so evocative, and mm-hmm. it is sort of known as the instrument that sounds the most like the human voice." And then. I went to Nepal on to just go. I went to Kathmandu for a couple of weeks, hmm. and I tried to buy a sarangi, but I could only find like these shitty plastic ones, like in in just sort of like tourist bazaars. Yeah, yeah, just like bazaars in uh, that sort of area. Yeah, and I was like, I'm not going to spend a thousand dollars and buy like this crazy wooden instrument that's going to get broken on a plane. And so I got home and I was reading about the cello and people in the Western tradition. Cellos are sort of known as the instrument that sounds most like the human voice. Mm. And so I was listening to a lot of that and I was like, fuck it. Like I have the time. I'm just going to try to learn how to play the cello. I'd never played uh, a string instrument before. And so I took a couple lessons and I had it for a couple years just around the house and I was quite bad at it. It's, it was very hard. Yeah. You know, I'm a quite an established guitar player. Yes. Of note. No, no but, one, uh, no one can doubt that. No one can, yeah, undermine that sentiment. It doesn't transpose. Like not having frets is like really a. It's really hard to get your mind around. Mm-hmm. But I was, I got good enough that I could sort of like put my finger somewhere and and draw a bow against it, and you know, that sounds great. Like the, the cello is such a compelling instrument that just like playing one note slightly okay sounds great. So I just did a bunch of that in the studio. And that's that's what we based the start the song around. It was like I was able to perform notes, and we could we comp them and edit them together in the studio, and that's how the song took off. Right. So yeah, it's uh, it's sort of a cello base to this song. Yeah, there's uh, I feel like these, and, and so there's other elements too. Like I, there's one point where things kind of break down, and there's like a uh, like a western kind of guitar uh, yeah. section and. And then all the sections with the uh, non-male vocalists, or I guess non-Damian vocalists, and, or, or non-you, <laughs> yeah. the, the people who are the guests, like those have a very specific kind of character to them. You know, we're really, I feel like we're taken through time and space a little bit as these acts unfold. And uh, that's purposeful. Like that, that gives it a very theatrical sort of flow. It's like uh, I can picture the curtain falling uh, on the at the end of Damien screaming, and then when we come back, it's a new scene kind of thing. Is that kind of what you're going for? Yeah, uh, we really did try to make it sound cinematic in yeah. that in that way. And after like David comes to life and Dose Your Dreams being sort of like narrative focused records, but also like just didn't really make sense. Yeah, which I think people are always like, oh, you know, fucked up. They're so weird. They don't want to make their stories. Make, make sense at all it's so weird and blah 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 it's just like that's just a, a, a drawback of us like i don't know how to really tell stories i don't have any like education and like narrative and and this kind of stuff with this one i was really like 
you know, if we're going to have characters and try to try to tell a story with this record, I don't really want to fuck around. Yeah. I want it to sort of make sense conventionally, even if we're writing about like magical stars and wizards and stuff, I still wanted to like people to be able to follow it. So yeah, hopefully I don't know. It's impossible to know how other people experience this, your song, but hopefully like the story sticks out as much as the music does and travels sort of can travel together. Well, I will say also that, so we talked about the musical shifts uh, and I think Damien also is doing things with his voice and his delivery that create this dynamic sort of attack on the song. Like the song's characters change as he alters his voice. And, and I mean, we talked about your voice uh, on the, as the river and so that also just shifts the mood. Did you talk to Damien at all about his how he was going to approach singing some of these songs or some of these parts, I guess? No. And see, this is the other cool thing is that so you'll notice this when all the songs come out. But the other thing that happened between recording the first two sides and the second two sides is I got this. I just got a, a normal guitar octave pedal. And so the the bulk of sides B and D have this like very low tuning in the guitar because of this pedal. And they sort of, we just, we did like a stoner rock kind of thing. Yeah. And then Damien, this is Damien did his vocals at the start of the pandemic Hmm. and yeah, he just went in and he was just by himself. Like he was with an engineer he had never used before. Yeah. And he told me that like he would just go in, he had a, he would go in with a mask and walk straight into the booth and spend whatever like six or seven hours just in the little recording booth. Yeah. And he managed to like accomplish like three or four new styles that that he'd never really tried in the like twenty years of us being in a band. Yeah. To like really great effect, I thought. And it just sort of opened up like these new, like I, I would get the vocals back and I would be like this like four bar section that he's done in this like sort of melodic style. Like I, we could do a whole album in that style. Yeah. Yeah. And to, yeah, to me, like that, I think that's the thing with us of like why we keep doing such weird shit is that like every time you do something weird, there'll be like a minute in it that opens up a new door of like a new style and then you could do another another record like that. Yeah. So I feel like we'll probably do an album of that style where it's just sort of this like melodic stoner rock thing just because of like the shit he was trying by himself recording these vocals. I'm very surprised to know that you in particular weren't around because it really seems to me that and I mean I know he's capable of making these decisions himself but for him to make the decisions he's made here based on, I assume, what he was reading off the page or the rest of the music. Like, just very interesting and strong decision-making on his part, if I might say. You know? Like, it's just really... Yeah. It suits the song. It, it really gives the record... Again, we've talked about all the ways the, the record shifts around, but I think he's really stepped up on that level. It's not just him roaring. He When he needs to sound demonic, he sounds completely demonic. Like, different. Different demonic, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. He just, his range on this record is like, is crazy. Yes. And I think, I think a lot of it is just like, 
it eventually catches up to you where you do so many out there albums and just sort of like there's no consequences for them. And especially this like during, you know, making stuff during the pandemic mm-hmm. and a Zodiac record, like there's really no pressure to try weird shit, especially on these records, because like we never really play them live. And so you're not ever going to face an audience and have to like deal with the crazy decisions. Like hmm. I-, I can go into the studio and like do really dumb vocals on this thing, but I would never be able to do it like in front of an audience. You know what I mean? I do know what it's- you mean. I, I, I wonder if you don't like when I, I think when we did an interview about dose your dreams, I kind of asked you about, because you have this interest in writing, like I appreciate what you're saying about like not having the training or knowing exactly how to tell a story properly or whatever you were saying, which I think you're, I, I, I hope you know you're, to my ear, you're downplaying your skills. I think you do a great job of that, and you've done it before. But I think I was also like, don't you ever want to explore other mediums, like beyond music even? Like maybe you can do some sort of prose thing. And you've you've gradually, not gradually, I think since maybe the outset, you have been a, a narrative songwriter and created these universes and these characters this to me seems like it would be in a perfect world where you could put on stuff live in front of people. This would be a cool thing to see. Like, and I know you've, I guess, do you think your audience doesn't want to see you do these things or do you not want to do these things like stage them? Uh, it's just really hard. Like, you know, if you spend so much of your life becoming good at one thing, it's hard to, to look back and then be like, okay, so I'm going to spend 10 years of, the next 10 years of my life being good enough at like writing plays that like somebody is going to want to put one of my, you know what I mean? Like a couple of years ago, I wrote like a hundred page book, like a, like a hundred page poem basically. Yeah. But just because I've done that doesn't mean that like automatically it's good or that anyone's going to want to read it or put it out. You know what I mean? Like, well, it's, fair it's a enough, lot of work. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, I I do spend a lot of my off, like my free time, like I'm working on a novel. I've written this other not. You know what I mean? I've done the stuff. But being good at any kind of art, to the extent that people, other people want to listen to it, is like not easy, and it's not a, it's not a given. So we did try to adapt David Comes to Life into a stage play, right? But it's just hard. It's just the it's the kind of thing where like somebody would just have to come forward and be like, I'm going to take care of this and I'm going to make this because that's what I know how to do yeah. rather than us just being like, assuming we could show up somewhere and then automatically like make a movie or, you know? Yeah, I know it's hard, uh, but I know you're into that, that difficulty. I think you're into the ambitious part of like, let's bring in a crew of people. Like if I just, let me just count here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. There's like 13 characters in this record, not counting the spirits and other things, I think. Right. Yeah. And so it is, it would be ambitious to put this on, but anyway, yeah. it, it, all this to say, like so far as I'm speaking to you, it's uh, the middle of March. Uh, I've only heard the first two acts it's good. It's really cool. Like it's very interesting, and I've been lucky to kind of dig into what ostensibly is a chapbook. Will there be an accompanying chapbook when this uh, comes out in physical form, or uh, there'll be sort of like a libretto-looking thing? I think, like with the record, we'll probably make something that looks like those pamphlets you get when you when that's waiting for you at your seat. Yeah, 
in like a play or something. Right. Maybe cross with like a cut and paste style zine thing. Okay. I think that we eventually will do this at some, in some capacity on stage. Like we're just not, we don't have the chops is the other thing, right? Like we've, we've had very limited experience. Like we did the Zanzibar live score. Mm-hmm. It's just hard. Like we're not, well, I've been really Jonah. Like none of us are really the kind of players that have the chops to really do that kind of stuff. Like think about what a fucked up show is, right? It's like, it's this visceral fast pounding thing. It's hard to like transpose your, your limited skill in that to something more rigorous in terms of playing. Like me and Jonah did write an opera a couple years ago that was performed for a couple weeks. Yeah. And it was really cool. Like I really, I played guitar in it with it in a very limited capacity, but I'm on stage with like these people, these like, classically trained instrumentalists who were like all are reading off of sheet music and i was like i was truly like <laughs> years and years behind these people's playing even though i've been playing guitar for 20 years like yeah it's hard is it, is it the chops or the practice like i remember the dose your dreams release show at the horseshoe yeah. and as i recall you played the record in sequence which is not that even seemed from my vantage point, seemed challenging. We only played about half of it. There's there's probably eight or nine songs on that record we've never played and probably never will play. Right. But if you listen, like that CBC recording of that show, there's just so many mistakes in it. Oh, I didn't hear the you know? CBC recording. But yeah, I mean, what I was getting, when I say challenging uh, and my vantage point, I was in the audience noticing you making mistakes. That's yeah. what I meant by that. And Yeah, great. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> but that's the thing. Like when you play a show at a club, like making mistakes isn't really a big deal because the show isn't really about you, right? Like yeah. if the people if the people who are watching you aren't seated, they are the focus of the show. Like the the energy that the audience creates is what makes a right. punk show. Right. If I'm playing like Doser Dreams at fucking Roy Thompson Hall, and I make a mistake. Like that's the last time that's ever going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we'll, sure. we will not be getting invited back. I suppose that's fair, but people do make mistakes, and all, all this to say, like, I, I I hear what you're saying. It's very ambitious. This is something you can explore in a studio space a little more, in a more relaxed fashion than you could on stage. I get that part for sure. Um, yeah, you've also released it or are releasing it in something of an interesting manner you're releasing these large huge songs one act at a time i believe i guess it must be over the course of four months there's four acts yeah uh what prompted that release schedule and idea to release it as such we've never really got to do one of those surprise releases things and i was just always just curious and so this is sort of a a slightly adjusted version of that Hmm. and just you know we've been working on it for so long like six years or something at this point and you know when you release something on a label it just takes like you hand it in and then it doesn't come out for like a year yeah you just have to do so much waiting and i just want it to be like fuck it like it's done i want to get it out it's a pandemic we're probably not going to like this is the one record that we wouldn't really do a tour behind anyways yeah and the press and the interest is always like very different for the Zodiacs anyways because they're so confusing. I was just like, fuck it. Let's just put it out in this really quick way. Yeah. And in a way where like, since it's so story focused, 
I wanted to do it in that serial way where people could t- take a month just with the so- the song and you weren't worried about like 50 million interviews and reviews and mm-hmm. like is there a limited vinyl it was just like this is all you're getting is the music and the story just do that for a month and focus on it and then you'll get another one in another in another month we thought it was just a way to like have people really focus on just the music and the story for a couple months before like there was a lot of hoopla yeah no it's it's wise because it's th- it's fairly dense what did you just say about this interview what did you just say <laughs> you know the hoopla like this <laughs> i don't consider this hoopla no one's ever described an experience with me as uh, you know being hoopla but maybe it is i never thought of that uh no that's it's it it is such dense material that i think you've done a wise thing but i guess it does beg the question is there a plan i think that i know this already to be honest but there's a plan for a physical release at some point yeah yeah it'll yeah that'll come out later okay but not like uh, could be a long time from now, I think, right? It's not delayed. We're just we'll probably announce it when the fourth one comes out. Okay, and then it'll take as long as it takes to like get vinyl made and stuff because it's like not even finished, right? Like we're still sides C and D haven't even the mixes aren't finished yet. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. so it's still being worked. It's still kind of being worked on. So, are there? Does that imply there aren't exact fixed release dates for the? Remaining sides? There are. And what are they? Or is that a surprise? Is that part of the surprise? Well, it's only a surprise if you're dumb, right? Like, the first two were on <laughs> were on Bandcamp days. There's another Bandcamp day in April. Okay. And there's also one in May. Oh, there are. Okay. That's right. They do, they're doing yeah. them monthly now. Okay. Do we, yeah. uh, okay. So we'll keep an eye out uh, for those Bandcamp days. I don't know them off the top of my head. Are they always the same day of the month? I don't even remember. I think they're the first Friday of every month. Oh, okay. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So we'll get those. And then uh, what else is going on with you with Fucked Up? Uh, Like you said, some of this stuff, well, I guess you also just said some of it's still being mixed and worked on. But I assume, like, I can't remember. Was Fucked Up working on an album proper uh, before the pandemic? Or have you been working on stuff uh, within it? There's Yeah, there's actually a a ton. Like I, I recorded a album, a fucked up album a year ago that will come out. David comes to life, turns 10 this summer. So there's going to be some stuff for that. Oh, cool. There's a, there's like actually so much stuff that is all going to have to like find time to come out now after like not really having any, doing anything for a couple of years. That's great. That's exciting. I mean, have you had time to, is it because of the pandemic that you've had time to, work on that stuff or ponder that stuff it's actually been harder to like just because it's been so i i like can't write at my home really like i can't i have to be in the studio to really write anything yeah and at the beginning it was kind of i was going into the studio and doing stuff and like fucking around but then studios closed so since like last summer basically i've just been waiting to like waiting all the stuff luckily most of the horse stuff was recorded and we were just mixing for the last year and like editing and stuff. But hmm. yeah. And I'll just a lot of it now depends on when we can play shows again. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to put an actual album out without being able to tour with it. Right. So like, yeah, just waiting. Okay. And, uh, is there any, 
uh, it's not that interesting, I guess. But like, you're you, some of this stuff will be probably coming out by a merge or someone. I'm guessing, or has anything changed in terms of where stuff will be in the end? In terms of label, yeah, labels and stuff. We're on, yeah, we're on merge. Someone else is doing horse just because of its limited nature. Oh, okay. And merge sort of graciously just let us do this weird experiment. Hmm. But we'll have some stuff coming out on merge. And uh, Matador is doing some stuff. And, oh, yeah, because of David comes to life. Yeah, right. Okay, cool. I don't want to get too businessy, but I yeah. just curious. Okay, well, yeah, no, it's good. I, you're good. everything else is good. The band is as good as it can be at this point. You, you mentioned you might have some shows even. I hope. Yeah, none of us have really seen each other for a year, so yeah. Usually, that's good for people like us. When you say when, <laughs> when you say you ha- you don't know where Ben is, what does that mean? Uh, I think he got stuck in the states at the beginning of this pandemic. I don't oh, really you li- oh, he's in California, I think, somewhere. I'm not really in touch with him, but yeah, I, th- I don't know if he, I don't know where he is. He's in California. He told me. <laughs> okay. uh, so if you need to track him down, uh, right. check the state of California. Uh, okay, so where can people go to learn more about fucked up stuff uh, as it stands, Mike, uh, in terms of internet places? Well, you know, they, we have some social media. They could go to that. Are you, still, are you still having fun on Twitter? You're running the fucked up Twitter. It's always, to me anyway, rather amusing. Are you enjoying it still? It's okay. I found that, like, Twitter has become my homepage during the pandemic. Yeah. Like, it's just bad, I guess. <laughs> But that's sort of where I got my news news from. Yeah. So I'm there. If people want to find, you know, stuff about us, that it'll be there. Right. And obviously the band camp is a good place to hang out for fucked up people. That's where the music goes, yeah. Yeah, okay. Good. The words go on Twitter and the music is on Bandcamp. Okay. Pictures. We have pictures on Instagram. Right. Now we yeah. we we've been getting this stuff as these lumbering you know, long acts when we will this ever be divvied up as sort of individual tunes so to speak no No. it's just the song is it's just one song yeah actually that's right the whole thing is one song we're getting it in acts but it's really one giant okay yeah it doesn't divide it doesn't divide up like it just is one flowing thing okay one of the reasons I ask that is because normally at this point in in a conversation I will ask the guest to choose something for us to play that represents two choices: <laughs> A side A or side B. But uh, do you permit? I I have no issue playing one of the acts. To be honest, on the show, I don't care because people can do what they want. They can stop. They can keep going. But do you really want me to do that? Do you want me to? Do, should we go to one of the acts? That no, no, we shouldn't. You should pick like a five minute chunk and then put that up. Okay, if we if we can't play a whole uh, act, which is probably advisable, it's they're very long. What five-minute chunk would you suggest I play for people right now? I don't know. You should look at it. And you, can, you can do that, right? Like I can. Go. I just wonder if there's a section in particular that you feel... I don't know. Like I mentioned the river part. Yeah, do it. Should we just grab the part where you're the river? From sure. This is yeah, from I, scene four, I, have, yeah, I think. Yeah, go for it. Should we do that? What, what were we going to say? I just don't remember how it all flowed. Like, I haven't listened to the... The, since the stuff comes out, I haven't listened to it. So I don't, I don't really remember how it all flows together. I like that you you're trying to say that you don't remember how the the river flows. 
I wasn't trying to say that. I think you were. I it flows fine. The river is flowing just fine. So we're gonna play something from scene four. Is this Act One? I'm scrolling here. I think it is. Act One, Scene Four. Uh, and this is you, right, Mike? You're singing. Yeah, I think Tuca might be on the section two, but I can't remember. Okay, and yeah, I don't have much more to say, but I think people should make their own choices. So we'll hear a little five-minute chunk or so. Is the river thing really five minutes? I don't think it is. But we'll play. We'll start with the river and play play something to its logical. Play it for five minutes and then cut it off exactly five minutes. No, I don't want to do that. We'll play it to its logical conclusion, and then if you want to hear more, please go to Fucked Up's Bandcamp and uh, do what I did. Buy the whole thing. And each month when they come out, you get a notification telling you your the next act is available to download. But then you got to download the whole record all over again. Which oh, is, really? Well, that's what I had to. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I don't. I was trying to like, can I just download the second act? And no, it's a zip file with Act One in it again. So then I gotta, oh. I gotta delete that. And then this is just my own personal problems. This is fucked up with uh, uh, Scene Four, Act One, Scene Four. Uh, from the year of the horse, whose name was Percival. Uh, Mike, it's always fun to to chat with you and delve deep into the very confusing world of Fucked Up. Thank you for uh, always thinking of me and making time for me, and I hope we talk soon. Best of luck. Thanks, Fish. Thank you. Blood 
Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, thanks again to Mike Halichuk of the uh, band Fucked Up for coming back and appearing this time on the 605th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for or if you want to learn more about me, sign up for my monthly newsletter. Please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative or Follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Vishkana. Also, visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation. 
Uh, $6 or more grants you access to exclusive content. And uh, if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, please message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. Speaking of uh, exclusive content, maybe I should revisit some of my earliest fucked up interviews and post them there. Huh, that that might be a a thing to do. Maybe grab some of those early fucked up conversations and put them on Patreon. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll do that. Go to patreon.com slash creativecontrol for more information about that. Uh, thanks again to liveatmasseyhall.com where you can watch beautifully captured concerts by great Canadian artists. And also uh, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. Uh, thanks as always to Jim Guthrie. He lends me some music of his that I can play on the show. And you can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with uh, me and Mike from Fucked Up. And Mike, thank you for being back on the show. That was that was fun and uh, interesting to, to learn more about the year of the horse. It's very sort of complicated. I hope you enjoyed that chat, and I hope you share it with your friends who might like Fucked Up and, uh, and maybe get them to check out the show, maybe subscribe to it, spread the word about it. All of that is very helpful. So thanks, and I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.